Welcome to Bible Fellowship Assembly Sunday Morning Messages. Today, Dave Jenkinson continues our series of messages on the Gospel according to Mark. Today, looking at Mark chapter 12, verses 28 through 44. And now, here's Dave. For the, for the people that were there that day. They had seen something that no one else had seen in the entire history of humanity. They had seen Jesus coming into Jerusalem on the back of a donkey. Well, that's no big deal. There was kings that had done that before. But this was the one that was being proclaimed, Hosanna! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. They were quoting Psalms 118, verse 26, and they were saying, this is he, this is the Messiah. This is the one we waited for for centuries. This is the one who we prayed for. This is he who's going to change everything. Now, they thought it was about getting rid of the Romans. I'm sure the bulk of Israel was convinced that the reestablishment of the kingdom of God was about politics. There's so much politics that gets messed up into religion, isn't there? But I put it this way. Religion should never be affected by politics, but if your, your faith does not affect your politics, something's not right with your faith. Because our faith is to affect all we do and say. And so they had seen him come in. They had realized that Jesus was powerful. Because not only had he come in mounted on this donkey with a great parade, with thousands shouting out, but the Pharisees said, you see, you've accomplished nothing. Look, the whole world has gone after him. John 12, verse 19. Now earlier, after Lazarus had risen from the dead, who gets to see a resurrection? You go to a funeral to grieve. You go to a funeral to comfort and console the loss of a loved one. You don't go there expecting the person to sit up in the coffin. And that's exactly what they had. They had Lazarus hopping out of the tomb, wrapped up in clothing. And he's going, you better unwrap that guy. He, he needs some unwrapping going on, but he's alive. Lazarus, come forth. They had seen that. And they said in Luke or in John chapter 11, if we do let him not let him alone like this. Everyone will believe in him. The Romans will come and take away our place and our nation. This is from John 12, uh, verse 19. And one of them, Caiaphas, who was high priest, said, you don't know anything. You know nothing. Not so much like today, someone would say. And he says, don't you consider it's expedient that one man should die so that the whole nation should not perish. So in spite of this, Jesus had not only entered the sanctuary, and the precincts, but he had driven out those who had bought and sold in the temple. He had overturned the tables and the money changers. This is no simple task. Listen, if you were there, you would see soldiers who were temple guards cowering in fear at this one who was throwing over these tables of change. You see, Jesus had hit the very heart of the faith of Jerusalem. 
The common people were proclaiming Jesus as Messiah. Jesus was taking upon himself to reshape the very business enterprise the temple had become for the very means of supporting the many hundreds, if not thousands, of priests and scribes and Levites and Sadducees and guards. They were all supported from the offerings from the money exchange, from the sale of the sacrifice. They were all supported by that. And you know, one thing is abundantly clear. You can attack my reputation. You can attack my family. You can attack my religion. But you start attacking my wallet and you're in big trouble. And that is what was being attacked. And Jesus was saying, don't make my house a house of merchandise, a marketplace, a mall. Instead, Make it a place of worship for all peoples, for all the nations. And whoa, that, that really hit hard because they didn't want to let other people in there. They even had a spot. Gentiles can go no further. If you're part, not part of the Jewish tribe, the Jewish family says, you're not welcome. And Jesus says, all are welcome. I'm so glad today. The extension is to everyone. Everyone here, everyone hearing my voice, all those in this world. The message is clear. All who believe are saved. Not just the twelve tribes. And so, this was the context. The Herodians had asked questions about the resurrection. The Pharisees and the Herodians had asked questions about paying taxes. Now, a scribe comes up in verse 28 and he says, what is the greatest command? And one of the scribes came and having heard them reasoning together, he perceived that he had answered them well and asked him, which is the first commandment of all? And Jesus answered him, the first commandment is, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. This is the first commandment. Second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. There's no other commandment greater than these. And the scribe said, Well said, teacher. You have spoken the truth. There is one God and there is no other but He. And to love Him with all your heart, with all your understanding, with all your soul, with all your strength, and to love one neighbor as oneself is more than whole burnt offerings and sacrifices. When Jesus saw this, he answered wisely and he said, you're not far from the kingdom of God. And after that, no one dared answer him or question him. Now, the scribe described, the scribe described by Mark, sorry about that um, confusion of words, was the one who supported Jesus and his movement. How do we know this? Well, Mark described him as having heard them reasoning together and Jesus had answered them well. He suggested the scribe was perceiving there's nothing in Jesus' previous answers which would have cause for charges of heresy. The scribe asked, what is the greatest command or the first or preeminent command? Now, here's something that we need to realize. In Exodus 20 and in Deuteronomy 5, we have a repeating of the Ten Commandments. Now, hear me well. Jesus does not say, keep the Ten Commandments. Did you hear that? There's a, whole one, there's a whole raft of the world that says, if I just keep the Ten Commandments, I'll make my way to heaven. I'll climb that ladder and up there and I'll finally make my way. And they'll say, well done. You did it. You fulfilled the Ten Commandments. Jesus, does, he could have. He could have said, love 
Well, not love. He could have said, there have no other God beside me. Number one, don't have idols. Number two, have no other, uh, don't take the name of the Lord in vain. Don't swear. Number three, uh, keep that Sabbath day holy. Number four, and he could have gone on. Why? Why does he go to this next chapter, chapter six? Why doesn't he repeat the Ten Commandments? Ever thought about that? He doesn't. He does something else. He says we ought to love with all our heart, our soul, that is our emotions, our strength, and that includes our mind. Now, a person can try to keep the Ten Commandments. And you ask them, but do you love God? A person can try to be honest and faithful and not steal and not lie and not rebuke. And, but do you really love God or is he like just a taskmaster? He's just holding it over your head. You, do you really love God? Let me tell you, when I met my wife, I didn't instantly love her. I know she knows that. Because there was a whole group of people that we were all together with. And so the first, it wasn't like love at first sight. It was a growing love that God brought into our relationship. But she's the best thing next to salvation that God has ever done in my life. And I pay tribute to the fact that she stands by me and she stands by God. She wants to serve the Lord. And I can just imagine, somebody says, do you love her? Well, I don't know. I don't know. I kind of like her. But, you know, it's kind of like Tevia in the, in the, in the story of the, uh, of the fiddler on the roof. You know, do you love me? Well, I cook for you. I wash your clothes. I do all those kind of things. But do I love you? Of course I love you. That's, that's expression of love. That's love language of giving. But you see, do you have that heart for me? The heart is deceptive. That's what the Bible says about our hearts. Our hearts are so dishonest. Half of the time we don't even know what our hearts are really saying. But loving God with all your heart means you surrender to Him. When we were growing up in North Bay, by the way, um, we went to a little school, which was school in the afternoon. Probably explains why I end up going to Shillington in the afternoon most of the time. I've been used to it since my childhood. Um, we, we were uh, an outreach of the church that, that was supporting this missionary work, and they had a Sunday school going in the afternoon. And one of the finest moments was when our Sunday school teacher, an old gruff uh, gentleman who spoke in English but loved Jesus, he said, you know, class, and let me tell you, boys class, we were rowdy. We were always pinching each other. We were always poking one another. We were always trying to make a wise crack. If he'd say, the teacher would say something, we'd try to turn it into a joke. I don't know if you're ever like that, but anyways... And it was a boys' class, all boys. And this teacher, he says, you know, he says, I got an assignment for us that we're going to do. We're going to look at a Bible chapter 
We said, okay, that's fine. We can look at a Bible chapter. And he says, and we're going to memorize this Bible chapter. And we said, what? How many verses do you want us to memorize? Well, there's only 13 verses. And we said, what? Yeah, he says, we're going to do it over 13 weeks. So every week you're going to have a verse that you're expected to know. So the first verse was, Though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels and have not love, I am become like a sounding brass or clanging cymbal. We came that week to him, to him and said, What in the world is this all about? Little did the Lord know. He's got a sense of humor that I would end up playing drums and hearing those clanging cymbals all the time. Just a reminder that if it's not in time and if it's not a correct sound of those drums or those clanging cymbals, it's not loving. And that's the way music is meant to be as well. But if I speak out and I do not do it out of love, if my heart doesn't care about you, doesn't care about what you're going through, then it means nothing. And if I have the gift of prophecy and I can say, you know, the weather is going to be great tomorrow and it's going to be a wonderful day and, and we're going to see prosperity and you know, all the things that prophets of today do that are false prophets, by the way, mostly. And what happens? Even if it comes through, if I do, if I can remove mountains, but I don't have love, it means nothing. It means I am nothing. Love is the missing ingredient for most people. So when you love God with all your heart, you have to have the love of God in your heart to love God with all your heart. And the only way you can have His love in your heart is to have Him in your heart. God is love. And the only way you can have the God of love in your heart is to receive Him into your heart. For John chapter 1 puts it this way. In the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with God. And the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. And all things were made through Him. And without Him nothing was made that was made. And then he goes on to say, He came to His own. Verse 11. His own did not receive Him but as many as received him. Who is the him he's talking about? It is the one who the world did not receive. The word was not received. But he gave them the right to become children of God to those who believe in his name, born, now get this, not of blood, not the will of the flesh, nor the will of man, but born of God. If you want to love as God called us to love, as this command says, love God with all your heart, you must have the God of love in your heart. And the only way you can have the God of love in your heart is to call upon Him to come in. And by the way, please, if you call and He doesn't come in, don't stop calling. Because there are so many of us say, I called, I've been told by my pastor or my preacher or the evangelist, then he just came in, but I didn't feel anything. And I have no connection with God at all. The Word of God is still a mystery. I have no desire to fellowship. I have no desire to get baptized in obedience to the Word. I have no desire to, to walk in His path. But I'm still thinking I might be lost. I would say your thinking is correct. 
The Bible says that we need life. In Him was life. And if you don't have life, you're just a mere imitation of real life. I can have a candle. I can set a candle on a table. I can put it up for all to see. But if it's not lit, it doesn't do a thing to produce light. And so, in this passage that we're reading today, in Mark's account, the Lord says love, but then he makes it clear the only way you can love is to have him in your life. Deuteronomy 30 would be a verse that the scribe would think of. He says, And the Lord your God will circumcise your heart and the heart of your descendants so that you can love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, that you might live. Verse 10, And if you obey the voice of the Lord your God and keep His commands and His statutes which are written in the book of the law, and if you turn to the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul, the Word is very near you, in your mouth and in your heart, that you may do it. Paul quotes this very verse in Romans 10. He quotes it in Romans 10 through the verses 6 through 10. And he says, by the way, this word that is near you and in your mouth and in your heart, it's the word of faith that we're preaching. And if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes to righteousness, the mouth confession is made to salvation. And so the Lord shall be saved. If you have never seen the Lord working in your life, but you claim to be a Christian, I would respectfully and gently say you may want to think about whether you have Christian Christianity or you have Christ. Whether you have religiosity or whether you have the author of your faith the Lord Jesus. Now, Jesus adds a second command. He doesn't stop there. He adds a second command and he quotes Leviticus 19, verse 18. Love your neighbor as well as yourself. If you read Leviticus 19, you will discover that there is actually five sections from verses 13 to 18 where the writer Moses is dealing with what it means to love your neighbor. For example, he says, don't cheat your neighbor, verse 13. Number, verse 15, don't show partiality to the poor or injustice in judgment towards your neighbor. Don't gossip about your neighbor, verse 16. Verse 17, don't hate or rebuke your neighbor. And verse 18, don't take vengeance. Don't bear a grudge, but love your neighbor as yourself. Why does he do this? Because he wants to remind the scribe that you can love God, but if your love does not extend to others, then it's not genuine love. It's only mental exercise. And so, the response of the scribe, he assesses Jesus' answer and says, well done, well said. If one can do this, it's greater than all the whole burnt offerings and sacrifices. Now that was profound. For that scribe to come out and say, Everything we do here in the temple area, everything we offer, the thousands of sacrifices, loving God with all your heart and having the, the knowledge of God in your heart so you can love God and the, loving your neighbor 
is, is greater than all of this. You know, over and over again in the Old Testament, there were things that were said that were better than sacrifice. First Samuel 15.22, to obey is better than sacrifice. Psalms 51.17, the sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and a contrite heart. These, O oh God, you do not despise. Proverbs 21.3, righteousness and justice is more acceptable to the Lord than sacrifice. And Hosea 6.6, I desire mercy and not sacrifice. So he says to him, you're not far from the kingdom of God. Interesting, he doesn't say you're in the kingdom of God. Nor does he say the kingdom of God is right here because I'm the king. But he says you're not far. But he was not yet in the kingdom of God. And that's important. Because you can be associated around the Word, around those who know the Lord, around the work of God, and still never know the God of the work. And so, Jesus now poses in his next section, verses 35 to 37, the puzzle. Jesus says, as he taught in the temple, how is it then that the scribes say that Christ is the son of David? David himself said, by the Holy Spirit, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand till I make your enemies your footstool. David calls him Lord. How is he then his son? And the common people heard him gladly. It's like they finally hear somebody that's standing up for the common people. Isn't that wonderful? Jesus stands for you and for me, the commoners. He's identified as a common person. Grew up in a common little community, Nazareth, the northern part of Israel. You know, kind of like South Porcupine or, or, or Timmins, you know. Known as the Pothill, city of potholes, you know, that kind of thing, you know. The city of pot, I don't know. <laughs> Might be known that way too. So, he comes and does what? Starts a school. No, he's a carpenter working with wood. By the way, he loves working with wood. So somebody says, you've got a brain as dense as a piece of lumber. You say, good thing, because he loves to work with wood. He loves us. He cares about us. He's with the common. And he says, then, this is a, this is a question for you guys. You believe that the Messiah is going to be the son of David? What he doesn't say is, by the way, look at my lineage. Matthew looked at his lineage and said, yes, he is the son of David because I can trace his genealogy back to King David. And Luke looks at his genealogy and you say, but that's not the same genealogy as I read in Matthew's genealogy. It wasn't. It was Mary's gene back to the son of David. But he doesn't do that. No, instead... He asks them a question and starts letting them stew and think. And here's perhaps what some of them may have come up with. Psalms 110 is the verse he's quoting. Verse 1, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand till I make your enemies your footstool. That's the verse he quoted. So, how can he both the Son and also the Lord, the King, the coming King? Well, if you read Psalm 2, you discover the answer. I'm not going to give that to you. I'm going to let you look it up. 
Especially look at verses 6, 7, and 10 through 12. I will give you a hint. Verse 12 says, kiss the son. Lest he be angry and you perish in the way. He then goes on to look at not only the greatest puzzle, by the way, you have to figure it out because they say that when you're teaching, don't give all the answers. So you have to figure it. And lastly, the greatest gift. The greatest gift. He said to them in his teaching, be aware of scribes who desire to go around in long robes. By the way, you might say, what's this got to do with the widow's gift? Why am I starting here in verse 38? Because he is talking about widows. And first of all, he starts about beware of the scribe. A scribe has just asked him a question. And he's given the scribe a commendation. But then he says the other scribes, beware of the scribes who desire to go around, love greetings, best seats in the synagogues, best places at feasts, and they devour widows' houses. They're always there just at the right moment. And what does that mean to devour a house? Well, I'm going to suggest, but I can't, I can't find a formal documentation to support it. So if you can, or you've got something else that you can suggest this means, I'm going to suggest this was a practice of some of the scribes. They were the lawyers of the day, by the way. They would come to a funeral, not just for the purpose of comforting and consoling the widow, but for the idea of making an offer on the home. Look at you know, I know you're, you're, you're grieving. You've lost your income. But, you know, I can give you a really good price for this home right now. And they sort of acted as a real estate agent as well as a lawyer. And they took advantage of people in their grief and consumed homes. They built their empires out of widows' homes, bought in times of suffering and grief. Now, I might be wrong on that, but... See what you can come up with. He sat up opposite the treasury and saw how the people put money into the treasury. Many of the rich put in much. Well, one poor widow came and threw in two mites, two mites, which make a quadrant. He called his disciples to them and said, Surely I say to you, she has given, the poor widow has put in more than all these who have given into the treasury, for they have put in out of their abundance, she out of her poverty has put in all that she had. Checking into this, this, uh, these two points. They were called lepta, the smallest of the currency of the day, it would be the equivalent of about half a penny. So to put in two coins, you're putting in a penny. We don't even use a penny; it's so valueless today. And so the illustration kind of doesn't come across the same way it would have if we were using pennies today. But here's the thing. She had two. She could have said, Lord, I know you love widows, but I've only got two here. I'll give you half of what I have. But no. She said, I'll give it all. Now, there's two lessons we can learn from this. The first is that if you want to accept Jesus, you do it on His terms. You have to give it all. You don't just surrender a corner of your heart. You don't just surrender a corner of your wallet. You don't just surrender a corner of your life. You give yourself to Him. You surrender yourself. It's all or nothing with Jesus. He is the King of kings, after all. And He says in Philippians chapter 2, 
that every knee will eventually all bow. Why not bow now? Instead of having to bow later in the awesome fearness of being banished from His presence forever. That's the first lesson. Give it all. But the second lesson is this. Jesus is like that poor widow because He gave us all. You see, He never asks you to give something that He didn't already give Himself. In Psalms 22, verse 1, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Where have you heard that? Well, that was from His, his pronouncing on the cross. But David prophetically gave that verse. And he goes on to Wow. I can count all my bones. They look and stare at me. They divide my garments. For my clothing they cast lots. Those are verses 17 and 18. And so, why are we talking about this? Because He gave His all for us. And He gave it so that we might have eternal life. He's like the man who saw that pearl of great price and he sold all that he had to buy the field. And that's what Jesus has done for you and me. To buy us out of the slave market of sin. And so this morning as we've been meditating and thinking about these things, Jesus calls us to have the greatest command in our life. Love. Paul says we love, or John says we love because he first loved us. Paul says we love because the Holy Spirit has been shed abroad in our hearts. So the greatest command is to know his love and to practice it to others. Uh, The greatest puzzle is to know the incarnation in our lives. And the greatest gift is to know what it means to give. Not portion. Not a tenth. But it's all. Our lives, our hearts, our days. May each one of us be learners, disciples, and go away from here realizing afresh that He loves you with an incredible love. And there is no need to fear. He is with us. He goes before us. He is the captain of our ship. And if anyone goes down first, he's already done it. He went down at the cross and rose again three days later to proclaim life and liberty, a kingdom that will increase, never decrease. That's a wonderful promise. And so this afternoon, as we move into our afternoon in the next few minutes, may you make it your commitment to invite the God of love into your heart to shed abroad His forgiveness and give you real life. I met a lawyer one time. I haven't had much contact with lawyers, but I met a lawyer. He was from the Philippines. And he said, I received Jesus, but I I don't know why, but there doesn't seem to be any difference. I said, what do you mean? He said, well, what happens when a person becomes a believer? Well, I said, well, you have life. At first, 
the first thing that happens is you know that you know that you know you are saved. He says, well, I don't know that. Well, then, well you may want to think, rethink what you did and redo it. And I'm here to proclaim to you, it doesn't matter how many times you say a prayer to ask the Lord to be Lord of your life. Do so this moment if there's any question in your heart. Because one day, speaking from experience here, one day he will say, Aha! Now I can come in. Now you know that you cannot love God without the God of love. Because I've been trying pretty hard. And it doesn't work. But I don't want to be a spoiler alert there for you. You maybe try to obey this command and say, I'm going to do it. I may be the one person in all human history who loved God with all their heart, with all their soul, with all their strength, with all their mind. And I'm not going to invite Jesus in because I want to do it myself. Go try it. But I can guarantee you, from a word of experience, that's work. Because you need the God who does work in your life to give you a new heart, new faith, new trust, new life, new desire. And when you read the Bible, it comes alive. And when you walk around, you go, I want to tell people about this one who has saved me. Those are some of the symptoms that I was, or symptoms I would say, characteristics of new life that I was able to share with this lawyer. Beware of the scribes, he said. Remember, he was speaking to us because we become so often a scribe before God, but not one who is a living letter that he writes on our heart. May God bless you. For that great love that you showed to us, Father, we thank you. May we return that love and love you with all our heart and all our mind, all our strength. And may we love one another as you have shown us. We pray these things and ask that we might uh, give our all to you in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening. Come back next week for the next Sunday morning message from Bible Fellowship Assembly. Visit us on the web at bfa.church, where you will find our physical address and contact information. We'd love to see you if you're in the Timmins area, or drop us a line at info at bfa.church. Until next time.